Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. You know, as the summer rolls on, there are these, uh, I guess, sort of tentpole benchmarks that you kind of go across as you kind of get towards the start of the upcoming season. That's how we mark time towards the, you know, kind of off season into the start of the season. We talk about a lot of these from time to time when the preseason magazines start coming out and some of the various online uh, pieces that are always written that kind of let you know that, okay, that's one more thing we've kind of gotten past on our way to the start of the season. And coming up here in a couple of weeks, what is it, the 17th of the 20th of uh, July, something like that, in Nashville this year, one of the things that's going to take place is SEC media days. That's one of those things that's probably more important to media than it is to fans, I would guess. But nonetheless, that's one of those deals where you know you're really getting close to the start of the season and you know you're kind of really in the season form only a couple of weeks prior to the start of practices and everything else once you kind of get to that point on the calendar you know you're sort of there and sort of you know ready to go for that upcoming year and one of the things we're talking about yesterday during our rs andrews cool down time and for those of you that listen to the podcast or maybe don't uh, get a chance to watch the full video at the very end of our show every day we have a thing called the rs andrews cool down rs andrews one of our great sponsors and one of the things they do for us is provide us a little extra time there at the end of the show we read comments and live commentary things like that we like to be the most interactive show on the uh, broadcast airways we feel like we do a pretty good job of that and that's one of the things that we do and one of the things that had come up yesterday was the idea of well who georgia might take with it to sec media days and you know i think there's a handful of players that georgia certainly could take one of the guys i assume that georgia will probably take is uh cedric von Prine granger uh, i think cedric von Prine coming back here for this particular season i think ends up being one of the biggest boost that georgia's got for the entirety of the offseason and listen by the time you get to september and a season kicks off boy a lot is happened over the previous nine months right and it can be easy to forget just how important some storylines turned out to be i think there was an example of that in 2021 when georgia won the first of what turned out to be two straight national championships with maybe more on the way that particular year you may remember very early in the year dan lanning had overtures of you know going and being a part of steve sarkeesian's first staff at texas this is back when lanning was still georgia defensive coordinator prior to becoming oregon head coach he had big offer we were led to believe maybe big money to go work at texas and lanning turned that down chose to stay at georgia uh, even though going to work for an offensive-minded head coach could have allowed him to get out of Kirby Smart spotlight and you know maybe Lanning could have thought that could have furthered his career it certainly could have made him a little bit richer at the time but Lanning chose not to do that and what we said was hey don't forget this when it gets time to for the start of the season when uh when Georgia gets ready to play in 2021 don't forget how monumental how pivotal it was that Georgia back in 2021 was able to hold on to Dan Lanning keep him as defensive coordinator we thought that was just a very important building block to the season to come and as it turns out it was part of a recipe for a national championship this year version of that going into this upcoming season and the mission to go for three and 23 the decision of Cedric Von Prine Granger who could have gone on to the NFL and likely would have been a pretty you know coveted draft pick there as a very good center uh, that I think position has grown in importance in the NFL circles within the last couple of years we think that Van Prine would have had a lot of draft prospects coming his way and yet ultimately chose to come back to Georgia for one final season and in doing so I think once again becomes one of those very important building blocks then an offseason of all kinds of 
transfer additions and recruiting news and this and that and all the stuff that's going on van Prawn's decision to return to the team is just i think a very big deal so much so that as i was thinking about you know kind of van Prawn and maybe being in sec media days what he might be doing and you know you know all of that it leads me to say this and this is one of those things where i think reasonable people can have various opinions right the the question I, I kind of posed to myself and asked myself was hey what is georgia's ultimate strength this upcoming year of all the position groups and clearly you know georgia's had the best defense and you know georgia's taking huge strides on offense and really you know georgia came i think very close a year ago just being the best across the board uh, of all the things that georgia has done you know really well all the different levels of success that it's had for the upcoming season if you had to hang your hat on one thing one position group, one idea that gives Georgia its ultimate edge towards going for its third straight national championship. Once again, I think you kind of circle back to the idea that Cedric Von Prahn returns, that Amarius Mims emerges as a full season starter. Someone like Ernest Green may be emerging opposite him as a starter at offensive tackle. You know, veteran guards like a Tate Ratledge or Xavier Trust. You know, all of a sudden you are looking at a Georgia offensive line, I believe, that isn't just the best in the country, something I think that's probably been true the last two years. It's not just the best in the country, but it actually may be the best overall unit anywhere for Georgia this year. And weirdly, it's that last part that may be the actual overall best compliment that there are a lot of Georgia position groups the last couple of years that may have been best in the country, uh, but vying to be the best position group on your own roster, that actually may be the toughest task for any kind of you know Georgia team, Georgia situation right now. And if you told me, B.A., what is your best Georgia position group? Compare the Georgia offensive line to the Georgia defensive line to the Georgia offensive line to the Georgia linebackers or the Georgia secondary to the Georgia, you know, wide receiver situation, whatever else. Start comparing these position groups across both sides of the ball and everything else. I believe if I had to hang my hat on one thing, I believe I'd hang my hat on the Georgia offensive line this year. I believe as long as guys stay healthy and as long as things kind of play out the way that it's supposed to, I believe I'd hang my hat on that Georgia offensive line this year as the very best position group on this particular roster. And let me also say this. I think when the stories are told of how Georgia has won its last two national championships, I think not enough attention is paid over the course of time to the fact that the Georgia offensive line has led the way in this as much as it possibly has. I still think the performance of Georgia offensive lines that include the likes of Broderick Jones, you know, this year and, you know, go back to a year ago in 2021, the likes of Jamari Salyer and, you know, some of the guys that were there a part of that. I still think in terms of all the credit that's doled out for who helped contribute to these national championships, I still think overall the Georgia offensive line has probably not gotten the credit that it's probably uh, deserved. Sometimes for the national folks, for sure, maybe even UGA fans there as well. And it's kind of funny, going into last season, that seemed to be a little bit of a motivating force for the Georgia offensive line. There is an award given out. It's called the Joe Moore Award. It's kind of a cool trophy because it's like five offensive linemen stretched out, and uh, it's, it's sort of a cool trophy. Uh, Georgia has been, I guess, runner-up for this award the last couple of years, but after the 2021 season, Georgia really set its sights on trying to you know, win that award for the uh, 2022 season. One of the reasons why I think Van Praan coming back here for 2023 is so valuable is because of the, the leadership that he has shown 
shown in terms of really marshalling the forces for Georgia there in that group and really kind of setting sights on what the ultimate goal really is. And, you know, you want to go back to two springs ago prior to the 2022 season, spring practice of 2022. You know, Van Prine spoke up clearly articulately about uh, how much he wanted his offensive line unit to be represented and uh, and recognized as the best in the entire country. What Van Prine said more than a year ago, just as relevant right now, this is a reminder of just how valuable Van Prine's leadership returning for Georgia can be here this year. I'll say this. We definitely want to honor the guys that came last year, but honestly, this is a new group, and we feel slighted because we, let me, let me rephrase that, not slighted. Slighted is the right word. We just you want to use it as motivation that we didn't win the Joe Moore last year, so we want to be the best group possible. I mean, what a clear, concise message. We want to be recognized as the Joe Moore Award winners. That's the award that goes to the nation's best offensive line. We want to be viewed as the best offensive line possible. Now, what's funny about that is, is that Georgia in 2022 came up short again. And I say that, you know, in air quotes, because uh, once again, Michigan was honored as the uh, best offense. And they won the thing two years in a row. I guess it's only possible for Michigan to win the offensive line uh, award, the Joe Moore Award. Uh, no matter what Georgia does, they don't seem to be able to impress the Joe Moore Award folks enough to be able to do that. By the way, more on Michigan here in a moment. There are new details in the story we talked about yesterday of the comparisons between Michigan and Georgia. Uh, we'll get to that here coming up in just a moment. But the idea that that, that Van Prine said, hey, we want to win the Joe Moore Award. We want to be recognized the best offensive line. In 2021, they thought the Michigan offensive line was better, despite the fact that on both sides of the ball, Georgia just shoved Michigan, Michigan all over the place in the Orange Bowl. We want to be recognized as the best offensive line this year. You gave it to Michigan in 2021. We want you to give it to us in 2022. But once again, somehow Michigan won the award in 2022 so my guess is if van prom were sitting here right now he would say very very clearly just as concisely and uh, unmistakably uh, clear as he was prior to the 2022 season he'd be that way again that hey coming up short slightly again in 2022 only makes us more motivated want to come out and win that award here in 2023 but one more point here on the georgia offensive line for a moment so if you were to like just and as you're listening to this, you may say, well, B.A., I actually don't think the offensive line is the best strength. I think it's maybe this whatever thing. You could make a different case for a different position. I'm certainly not going to deny that. Of course, that's true. But would you be willing to, for the sake of conversation just for a moment, would you be willing to kind of just go along with me that the Georgia offensive line is – kind of the main catalyst that's going to propel this offense this season the main catalyst that might propel Georgia again towards a third straight national championship think about how true that is uh, how how remarkable that is for a moment uh, at least in one respect you know when Kirby Smart came to Georgia in 2016 to sort of begin his head coaching career I think we're led to believe that one of the things that Smart thought was most important about starting that time at Georgia starting his co head coaching career one of the one of the main uh I guess foundational pieces he wanted to have in place as he began his time as a head coach is he's one Sam Pittman as offensive line coach and Pittman was so valuable here at Georgia in 2016 2017 you know 2018 2019 and then became Arkansas head coach I think that was a surprise to even Pittman that he was tabbed for that job there at that particular time I think he thought he might be a lifer offensive line coach and I think a lot of Georgia fans were hoping he'd be the guy that was sort of the lifer position coach here at UGA the same way that uh Dale McGee's just sort of always been here I think a lot of Georgia fans were sort of hoping that 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 Sam Pittman might be the version of that on the offensive line there as well incredibly popular guy incredibly important part of the early success that Kirby Smart had then boom one day 
he's gone. He's a head coach in the SEC, and obviously Georgia fans still sort of cheer for Arkansas now for the most part uh, because of their love affair with, uh, with Pittman while he was here. And yet in his absence, the Georgia offensive line for the most part really hasn't kind of skipped a beat. Uh, Matt Luke stepped in, former SEC head coach, helped Georgia win some very important recruiting battles and helped Georgia kind of maintain a level of success. And then when he decided he wanted to step away from coaching, Stacey Serrell stepped in. And listen, I don't mind telling you, when Serrells was first hired here uh, to return to Georgia after having been here before, that was a little bit of an eyebrow-raising decision for some of us. Really? Georgia's going back to its past here on Serrells? Uh, Georgia's kind of going back in time, bringing in a, in a guy like this? Is this really the right move? Is this really the guy that, that we're sure that Kirby Smart ought to be uh, tabbing here? It didn't feel like the Sam Pittman days to a lot of folks. The, the, the confidence a lot of Georgia fans had in Pittman, you know, the Stacey Serrells part of this, you know, didn't quite feel that way prior to last season. But the one thing we love about sports is, is that the scoreboard rules over everything. And whatever our preconceived notions might be, whatever our, you know, priorly held opinions might be, what we see happen on the field ultimately ought to change our mind about anything when new information is given, when new results are able to be observed, then we ought to change our opinion to make sure we get it right and make sure that the scoreboard tells us what actually happened. And so for a lot of um, a lot of Georgia fans, I think they were left to conclude, well, actually, Stacey Serrells may be a better fit here for Georgia, a better contributor to Georgia's championship success than maybe some of us thought he was going to be capable of being he had that kind of year for Georgia a year ago and as Georgia looks to have great offensive line success again this year you know once again it's a guy like Sarles who wasn't necessarily a lot of fans top pick to get the job when Matt Luke stepped away but it's Stacey Sarles who's going to be tabbed to kind of help keep that in place and once again to go back in time to when Sarles was first hired you know a little bit more than a year ago now a guy like Cedric Von Braun who has a very analytical approach to all of this he told you then that he thought that Sarles was going to be a good fit for Georgia and certainly one of those guys that was going to allow the offensive line to kind of bond together and bond around him let's go back in time again to hear Van Braun uh, this time on Stacey Sarles a guy who I think is made a pretty good name for himself over the course of the last year. Here's Van Praan again. Oh, absolutely love him. Very technical guy. Uh, really smart football-wise. Understands schemes. A um, little bit different terminology because he's coming from a different school, but football is football. Yeah, so Van Praan told you then, if you're a Georgia fan, you got nothing to be worried about. Stacey Serrells, I like this guy. And Senator Van Praan could have said, he didn't say this, but he could have said, hey, I know good offensive line play because I am a good offensive lineman, and I feel very comfortable with Stacey Serrells. And I think now all Georgia fans do there as well. So here's the bottom line is that we know what the storyline of the upcoming season is going to be. It's going to be a go-for-three-and-23-type campaign for the dogs. We've already predicted it to happen. We believe that's going to be the case. But how will Georgia get there? That's always the fun kind of mystery to unravel, the mystery to solve. And for us, we think on a pretty strong roster with deep, successful position groups, for the most part across the board, there may be none better than the Georgia offensive line. And given the way the offensive line has propelled Georgia the last two years, that could end up being a very good thing. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Merriweather and Tharp. And we are happy to be with you here today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, on the radio at noon, on Athens Sports Radio, 960 The Ref. We start even earlier, by the way, on video, 945, our first in 15, dognation.com, dognation. Now, but love taking those live comments, love interacting with our folks on a daily basis, just something that I really, really enjoy. I also am very proud of the folks who tune in and join us on podcast every day, whether it's the Apple player, the Spotify player, worldfamousdognation.com. 
However you get with us today, we are just really happy to have you here. And we are so thankful to our friends at Meriwether and Tharp who make it all possible. And Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. And listen, I know you, you listen, divorce is just a tough heavy thing i realize that we, we like to have fun around here especially during the summertime we're relaxed we're just kind of you know, enjoying thinking about a fun fourth of july weekend kind of coming up here and all the kind of cool stuff that goes along with that and you know i don't want to like you know grind the show to a halt talking about the divorce process but here's what i also know for some of you this is real for some of you it is either happened or it is happening you fear it might happen and I got to talk directly to you here for a moment because while I'd love to sort of wave a magic wand and pretend none of that stuff is is, is there and none of that stuff is 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 a reality that must be confronted deep down you know that's just not the case. So sometimes sort of facing this kind of stuff head on is just the thing that has to happen and that's why I have no hesitation at all about speaking very loudly and very clearly about my friends at Meriwether and Tharp and the work they can do for you in what might end up being the most challenging scenario you ever face in your adult life. I just know what they have done for thousands and thousands of people before and I truly believe they can do the same thing for you which is provide you a pathway towards a successful satisfactory outcome where you say hey I may not have a lot of you know great feelings about the past, or at least there may be some parts of this you know sort of my past here that I'm not you know super thrilled with. But I feel very confident about how well I am set up for the future. And folks, a lot of times that's just what it is all about. That having a plan for getting through this divorce process and having a plan for what your life's going to look like after that, sometimes that's the best gift that you can give yourself. So start this process by just educating yourself. Go to the uh, website, theatlantadivorceteam.com, theatlantadivorceteam.com. Learn about you know, this through the free resources that our friends at Meriwether and Tharp, they provide the, the blog post, the podcast, the things like that. I think it gives you a way of kind of learning how to ask better questions when maybe you have that first free initial consultation with one of those Meriwether and Tharp attorneys. Then after that, I think you'll see that the right thing for you to do is to hire Meriwether and Tharp to help you walk through this divorce process. So please find them online, the Atlanta divorce team.com, the Atlanta divorce team.com. Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. All right. So today is a Thursday. Oftentimes that means Terrence Edwards, the great former Georgia wide receiver, and it will mean Terrence Edwards again, but not this week. Terrence is predisposed. Uh, His day job came calling for him today. So we're going to have a pinch hit appearance by Connor Riley. Now we've already had Connor on the show once this week, but we've got some fun stuff to talk about him with today. And Connor's about to be on vacation now for a few days. He's going to enjoy some of that, much the same way I did last weekend. So this will be our last chance to talk to Connor for a little while. So we will look forward to doing that here in just a little bit. Prior to that, though, I want to go around the doghouse. And, y'all, I got bad news. And I hate this because a lot of Georgia fans that, man, they look forward to the season. They've won the last two national championships. A lot of Georgia fans, I think, were of the belief that maybe Georgia had a really good chance to, as we say around here, go for 3-23. and but it just sort of seems like, you know, once again, um, some of these like, you know, experts, if you will, national writers, we heard from Kirk Street, they just don't seem to think Georgia's going to win the national championship. And y'all, these people are never wrong about anything, I say sarcastically. So I guess you'll have to hope for 2024, hope that's better because 2023, apparently we're being led to believe that it's just not going to be Georgia because it may be Alabama or it may be LSU. I guess there's somebody out there kind of touting LSU, even in comparison to Georgia here right now. And, uh, I I guess these Michigan Wolverines, you know, uh, 
I guess they're one to be worried about here there as well. The team, by the way, that's beaten Georgia out for the Joe Moore Award the last two years. Maybe this is the year they actually beat them on the field as well. We talked yesterday about the idea that that Jim Harbaugh and Michigan are going to do a period of practice this year called their Beat Georgia period. We told you yesterday, I actually don't think that Georgia fans ought to be too bothered by that. And I'll kind of give you another explanation of kind of why that's true here in a moment. But the guy who revealed that to us is a guy named Bruce Feldman. He's a national writer for a website called The Athletic. Uh, and he was on an NFL network, NFL.com podcast, and he's the one that revealed that. But I've also been made aware of some other information that Feldman shared on this podcast, his opinion of Michigan here this year. Now, I'd play the audio for I'll be honest, I have a little bit of a computer issue this week, so uh, the audio is a little shaky here this week. Uh, uh, I'm talking about the, the audio clips that we play, a little shaky here this week. I'm going to read this to you as a quote uh, instead. Bruce Feldman from The Athletic on with is it Bucky Brooks and Daniel Jeremiah? Jeremiah, I really like. Um, uh, he's on this uh, podcast with them. And man, Feldman is just talking up Michigan here this year. And if you're a Georgia fan, gosh, you've already heard you're not as good as Alabama. Uh, somebody's out there trying to say you're not as good as LSU. Uh, and all of a sudden now, I, I don't know what happened to Georgia two years ago. They were dominating Michigan, but now they'll just be lucky to even stay in the game with the Wolverines, I guess, based on Bruce Feldman here for a moment. Let me read this uh, quote to you. This from the, uh, uh, the uh, NFL podcast he was on the other day. Feldman saying of Michigan, they have a bunch of those guys who decided to come back as opposed to leaving early for the NFL. A lot of those guys were the real team leaders. And they're all they're they're almost all back. To me, they not only should be a playoff team. I think if JJ McCarthy, the quarterback, can take the next step, and look, he's going to need a little help from the receivers. He says, "Listen to this." Bruce Woman says, "I don't want to say they're the odds-on favorite, but is this really what we're doing now?" Because by the way, it was Reese Davis. We told you, you know, a few times this summer, he was on a podcast. He had Michigan as his number one team. Now Bruce Feldman is flirting with the idea of saying Michigan is the odds-on. Favorite. he says this is the most talented team they've ever had bruce feldman on with uh daniel jeremiah and bucky brooks nfl network uh he goes on to say let, let, let me let me read the rest of this quote to you he says you got to get through the sec to win a national title right he says they're arch right now listen to this y'all i'm mostly doing this for fun none of this stuff matters i i, I do get this but what I'm, what I'm about to read to you this crawls all over me. Like, like I, I, I don't take any of this personally. I think it's all just for fun. We're college football fans. We like kind of going back and forth and arguing with each other. But the level of logic that you have to, like, twist yourself into a knot into in order to be able to, like, make this with a straight face, it, it, it literally is baffling. He says, so, so first of all, as I said to you, he, he says you got to go through the SEC to win the national title. I love the fact that it's just the generic SEC and not the two-time national champion Georgia Bulldogs, the team that literally kicked out Michigan's teeth in Miami two years ago. It's just the SEC. Maybe it's LSU. Maybe it's Alabama. Maybe, I guess, it could be Georgia, the team that's won 29 of its last 30 games, 33 of its last 34. I guess maybe it could be Georgia, but it's just the generic SEC for right now. But that's not the worst part of this. Feldman goes on to say, their arch rival, meaning Ohio State, who they whipped at their own place. They were this close to winning that game against the Georgia Bulldogs and knocking the Bulldogs out of the mix. And I think this Michigan team is more talented than, you know, the one that they just had. Actually, I think it's considerably more talented. 
Bruce Feldman uh, on with Bucky Brooks and Daniel Jeremiah making a big case for Michigan winning this year's national title. And in doing so, and he's not the only one that's done this, and this one, this kind of bothers me a little bit. In doing so, he's not the only one who seems to want to give Ohio State more credit for keeping it close against Georgia than Georgia gets for winning the game. The amount of like illogical delusion that you have to like wrap yourself into in order to make that argument the straight face, as I said before, it is truly mind-boggling. Because let me remind you of what was said about Georgia prior to that particular game against Ohio State last year. And for two years prior to that, if not if not more than that. Remember what used to be said about Georgia? Uh, Georgia may have the best defense in the country. But what happens if they get into a shootout? Can this Georgia team win in a shootout? Are they built to be able to do that? Sure, they're able to win when the game is played at the pace they want it played at. Sure, they're able to win if if things are exactly the way they want it to be. You know, defense, line of scrimmage. If the game goes that way, we know Georgia's good. But what happens if a team gets them into a shootout? Does this team have the offensive firepower to win a shootout? Then lo and behold, Georgia goes out and wins the shootout style game against a shootout style team and it's ohio state that still gets the most credit for that Uh, ohio state kept it close against georgia not only does that mean that ohio state's great it means that uh it may (laughs) it means that michigan's great well georgia won the game does it mean they're great no we're not worried about georgia right now this is about michigan this uh, ohio state losing to georgia proves how good michigan is somehow like this is the stuff that we do this time of year and it's mostly just in fun and i'm I'm kind of laughing as as i say this but you think like cable news politics arguments are dumb like this is a special kind of dumb i believe i don't think that bruce feldman's dumb i'm sure he went to some fancy college or something like that i'm not saying he's dumb i'm saying this is a pretty dumb argument and he's not the only one that makes uh this kind of stuff on a very very regular basis which is ultimately why we weren't really mad at michigan for doing their quote beat georgia practice period which feldman told us they're going to do we're not, we're not mad about that because honestly to michigan's credit they seem to be the only ones who are actually giving georgia their just due like feldman's got the generic sec like not the, the whole league not not the two-time national champion but the but the whole league uh as as, as the, the the stumbling block for this vaunted michigan team and it's marched towards the national championship as if this was still 1962 um like he's just got the the generic sec standing the way but michigan to its credit jim harbaugh you can say what he want you want he may be dumb but he ain't stupid uh at least he knows that the actual stumbling block here is not the sec and the the the, the generic placeholder champion from that league it is specifically the georgia bulldogs and to take it a step further here jj mccarthy who i honestly believe legitimately is a good player and listen i think michigan legitimately is probably a pretty good team um but jj mccarthy to his credit you know he was interviewed by espn uh the other day talking about you know a whole bunch of stuff and you know to me it's mccarthy having been on the field with georgia who seems to be about the only one or at least among the very few who are actually sort of acknowledging just how large the gap is between georgia and everybody else so um you know mccarthy was talking about 
the, the question posed to McCarthy, the Michigan quarterback, was something to the effect of coming up short in the playoffs the last couple of years. And the point that J.J. was making in the piece is, is actually the TCU loss that hurt him more than the Georgia loss did. And I want to read this to you because this is an example of what I think is the correct appraisal of sort of Georgia's situation here where guys like Bruce Feldman and uh, uh, Kirk Street and Reese Davis have kind of all gotten it wrong. Let me show you J.J. McCarthy here. This is from ESPN.com. He says the TCU loss definitely hurt a lot more than losing to Georgia. He says, when I went in as a freshman, we were playing what he calls the defense of the decade. <laughs> like, like you know, this to me is a little bit more appropriate. J.J. McCarthy is like, hey, you know, it hurt to lose to TCU. When I went in against Georgia, that was the defense of the decade. He says, it was kind of like, all right, let's see what I can do out here. He, and he says, then realistic expectations set in like, ooh, this is going to be tough. <laughs> like, that's totally appropriate. J.J. McCarthy says, hey, I had a chance to play against Georgia. Let me go out and try my hand here against these dogs. Whoops, this ain't going to be fun. Uh, this is going to be tough. This is the defense of the decade. That's why I would say Michigan's doing a beat Georgia period because Georgia has been so good. Michigan on the field with Georgia realized there was a chasm. I mean, the, the fathoms uh, of difference between what Georgia was and what Michigan was. And so therefore, you know, Michigan is using Georgia by name to identify the absolute measuring stick. You know, Kirk Street's still living in the past, uh, recent past, uh, looking at Alabama. Guys like Bruce Feldman are living in the distant past, as if Bo Schembeck was still, you know, uh, patrolling the sidelines, going back to like the 1960s with the idea of Michigan winning a national championship right now. It's the actual Wolverines themselves who seem to realize, you know what? Georgia's running this thing at the moment. You know, <laughs> you know, Georgia is the boss uh, of this entire sport here right now. So I don't think Michigan's winning the national championship. Uh, in fact, I didn't even pick them to make the playoff when I made my official predictions the other day. But at least they get it right in terms of uh, who actually is on top. And as they aspire to themselves for greatness, at least they are identifying what greatness actually is. So a little bit of a soapbox it didn't quite mean to go on such a soapbox about that but i do think some of this kind of stuff is pretty ridiculous all the way around all right speaking of boastful claims before our show is done by the way that is around the doghouse here on dog nation daily presented by mary with weather and tharp today and speaking of boastful claims before our show is done today uh we're going to hear another boastful claim from someone in the sec and actually i think this is kind of interesting i think it sets up a pretty interesting debate and I don't know that the guy who says this is necessarily wrong about what he says, but I do think it provides an interesting comparison, which actually brings Georgia back in the conversation. But I believe this is also really bad news for what has kind of been Georgia's top arch nemesis, not biggest rival, but top arch nemesis over the course of recent years. What is all this about? I will explain that to you coming up in just a moment. But for now, normally on a Thursday, it's Terrence Edwards, the great former Georgia wide receiver, who's always so good to be with us and talk to us about all the things kind of going on with Georgia football from his perspective as a former player. And we will definitely look forward to getting back to doing that again very soon. But for this particular week, we had to call in a pinch hitter. When you have a chance to call in a pinch hitter, no better person to do that with than Connor Riley. And we're to get into a lot of stuff with Connor here coming up in just a moment, including the, some of the stuff that's out there about Michigan right now and kind of the fun of all the people who kind of once again seem to be doubting Georgia here uh, just a, a little bit. We're going to do all of that um, over the course of the uh, next few minutes, and that is going to be a lot of fun. Connor Riley here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. 
So I'm so happy to have Connor Riley here today. We talked about him, uh, talked to him earlier this week, but it's always fun to be able to do that on a day like this uh, there as well. Our buddy Terrence Edwards not able to join us, uh, and Connor kind enough to uh, be a part of our conversation here today. Connor, uh, we don't often go to the uh, bench for a pinch hitter, but when we do, we're happy to guy have a guy who brings some pop with the bat here off the bench. So we certainly appreciate that. Yeah, hey, look, I'm just, get, I'm just trying to get on base, but uh, glad I can help out in any way, shape, or form. So I don't know, uh, I, you know, the other day, I don't think we talked about some of the, the beat Georgia stuff that's out there from Michigan. I'm not really quite so sure, you know, how, uh, you know, you know, much you've kind of paid attention to some of this, but prior to you joining us on the show today, one of the things we're talking about is the fact that Bruce Feldman, vaunted national writer, guy who's had a big platform for a long time, you know, not only was he the one that kind of educates us to the fact that Michigan will have the beat Georgia period during practice this year, something I've said I have no problem with whatsoever. To me, it seems like just respect for a, for a team like Georgia and for an aspirational goal. Obviously, you'd want to try to be as good as the best if you could be. But Feldman also goes on to sort of talk about um, the fact that he thinks – oh my gosh, this Michigan team can win the national championship. And he kind of joins a guy like Reese Davis who said that he thinks that Michigan may be his number one team there as well. And all of this just sort of sort of feels very similar to some of the stuff we've heard, you know, last year there as well, where it just seems like a lot of media types are shopping for someone, and in some cases anyone, other than Georgia won the national title. I'm not really mad about it. I think it's mostly fun. But in terms of the sort of sports arguments, college ball arguments in particular we like having this time of year, I think some of the like intellectual knots these folks tie themselves into to make this case, I think it stretches the imagination just a little bit. You're more objective than I am, so, so how do you feel about all of that? So I'll, I'll take you a little inside baseball here. Um, I think the big thing that some of these people are trying to do is they're trying to look smart. And I did the same thing a year ago, you know, sort of saying before the season, hey, and Georgia's going to win another national championship, and then they kind of went out and did that. And so I think the thing that with this Michigan team, if I had to put a number two team in the country right now, I would pick them. I like what they bring back. Uh, you know, J.J. McCarthy, I think, is a really good quarterback and a guy capable of winning. And I think you and I sort of see, well, you know, I, I get the point you're making about how people are just not wanting to pick Georgia because they're not the flashy pick. I will say, I think with, with this Michigan team, one – they have this skill talent there, and I think while their offensive line has been outplayed when they went against Georgia, I do think that there, there's something to the team where, like, they've gotten to the playoffs two straight years. They've beaten Ohio State, the, the, the big team in their conference, rather handily, and that was a, Georgia, a team that Georgia struggled with a season ago, and, and I think that's a fair point. But I think the larger point that I have with this is that Jim Harbaugh at least recognizes that Georgia's the number one team in the country, and, you know, yes, you have to gear up and, and try and be your best, and, and Toby Smart certainly subscribes to that theory, but Michigan sees Georgia as the top dog, and I think that should say a lot more about the direction of this Georgia program than who some media yahoos are, are picking to win this thing. I, I think, you know, Jim Harbaugh, as weird as he might be, is a guy who knows football pretty well, and that he, he views Georgia that highly, I think, says a lot. Yeah, I mean, I said this yesterday, too, but the, the whole beat Georgia thing is, if you're a Georgia fan, this is what I've been saying people should be doing this offseason. Like, if you want to make the case for Michigan, I like college football conversations, I'll have that with you. You want to make the case even for Ohio State, I'll do that with you. Alabama, LSU, I'm fine with that there as well. But it's appropriate to me to acknowledge Georgia first, much like I, the, the analogy I used, you know, back in the early 2000s, if you wanted to pick 
Phil Mickelson win the U.S. Open, you better start by explaining why Tiger Woods isn't going to win. Or if you wanted to pick, you know, I don't know, uh, Utah Jazz win the NBA title back in the late 90s, you better explain first to me why Michael Jordan isn't going to win. I think because Georgia has won two straight titles in the playoff era, something that no one else has done, we've seen multiple champs, but not in the back-to-back years. If you want to make the case for someone else, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, LSU, whoever else, I'm fine with that because that's what we do this time of year. We make fun arguments. We try to be somewhat contrarian when we can be. But you've got to start the discussion by explaining why Georgia isn't going to win. You've got to acknowledge Georgia first. And to me, the beat Georgia period for the Michigan practice is the kind of acknowledgement of Georgia that I do think is appropriate. I don't mind the aspirational goal of, hey, you know, we do want to be as good as Georgia. At least they're acknowledging Georgia. And that's the thing I think some people this offseason have sort of failed to do. And I would agree with that. Uh, you know, I, I was maybe a little bit too young to be breaking down jazz rules in the late 90s. Uh, but there was a time, you know, uh, more recently, like with the Golden State Warriors, yeah. where you had to explain, okay, why was somebody going to be a team that had Steph Curry and Kevin Durant? And, again, you know, it, it's kind of where we are in the offseason cycle, and you and I both know that, that no one really wants to have these super long and nuanced conversations about, you know, why Google won't win a national title this year. But I think you and I cover if the Georgia team doesn't win, you know, maybe they lose to Tennessee and, and even that feels weird to say out loud, but then like a one-loss non-SEC champion Georgia with their schedule, is that going to be enough to get them in? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, you know, from a game standpoint, maybe the quarterback and offense does take a step back, so I'd be, again, surprised if that happens. Uh, but the team just doesn't have a lot of holes, and while – there isn't an, a whole lot of obvious stars outside of Brock Bowers. I just I find it hard to see that a team is going to beat Georgia with the schedule that they're playing, and that's just quite frankly not all that fun to talk about. I, I think you know Georgia won't have a real test, in my opinion, until that SEC championship game, and I think a big reason for that is just you go back and look at the way Georgia has played Tennessee, and really even Josh Heupel going back to when he was Missouri's offensive coordinator. Heupel just has not been able to figure out Kirby Smart in the defense. And, and while, yes, Tennessee is getting more talent, Joe Milton started at Michigan. He wasn't good enough. He got benched. We started at Tennessee before Hennon Hooker. He wasn't good enough. He got benched. Does more experience in that Tennessee system help him? Maybe. But, but we've seen who this guy is for a couple of years now. And, you know, I, I'm skeptical that he's going to radically change who he is when the lights come on now that he's a starter in a Tennessee offense. But mind you, he does have to replace some two pieces. All right, two quick things, and we'll let you go because uh, I, I know you've got a lot going on here today, and we certainly appreciate you being with us. One of these is not important. One of these is more important. Here's the not important thing, and I kind of joked about this before you joined us. Do you agree with me that Ohio State's getting more credit for having played Georgia close than Georgia's getting credit for actually having won the game? 100%, yes. Uh, you know, and, again, I think that speaks to where Ohio State was last season. Coming off that loss to Michigan, they rallied. Probably should have won that game, but you know, as much as Georgia found a way to win it, Ohio State found a way to lose that as well. And so, you know, Ohio State seems to be getting a benefit of the doubt here. And I'll point out for a program that, you know, there have been questions about how tough that team is and how tough that team has been in recent seasons. And you can question the physical toughness against Michigan. I think you can question some of the mental toughness against Georgia. They have to replace three starters on that offensive line, including both tackles who are both NFL draft picks. And, well, yes, Georgia has to do the same. Georgia has shown – they can recruit and develop at an elite level, and it helps that Amarius means one of those guys stepping in. Ohio State had to go into the transfer portal to look for offensive linemen, and there, quite frankly, aren't a lot of offensive linemen in the transfer portal that are available, and we've talked about that before. So 
look, when your quarterback is as important to Ohio State as C.J. Stroud was and as I think Kyle McCord is going to be, you need to be able to protect him. And if you have major questions against a Michigan front, a Penn State front that's got some players, Georgia potentially, Alabama, whoever, I do have questions about how that team is going to ultimately look when they face an elite defense. All right, final thing for you, and my guess is you disagree with me based on what you wrote today at dognation.com, but I'm going to ask you anyway. I said before you join us, I believe that Georgia's number one strength this year is its offensive line. I also think uh, that's a pretty good strength to have and maybe the most important thing to be the best at if you're trying to be as good as Georgia wants to be. So I'm just curious, do you think the offensive line is Georgia's best position group? No, I would take the inside linebacker position with a caveat. Uh, Shemar Munden misses a lot of time, like he misses into November potentially. Then, then I would probably shift my answer to to the offensive line. But for right now, with what we know, as far as we know, I would still take the inside linebacker room because while you know Cedric Van Pran is going to be the best center in the country, I don't know that he has the kind of impact on an offensive line to say a dominant tackle would or, or or another guy. I think with offensive line. You're only as good as your weakest position, and we don't know who Georgia's left tackle is going to be right now. Whereas an inside linebacker, you know, assuming Jamal Wynn is healthy, which is a fairly big assumption at this point, I will admit, uh, you have two stars, two guys that could legitimately be All-Americans in Jamal Dumas Johnson and, and Jamal Munden. And then behind them, you know, Jalen Walker is as talented as any player on this defense. And, and look, it's going to sound hyperbolic. I think there's a world where if he develops the right way, he could be the best linebacker that ever played for Kirby Smart wow. or, or at that inside linebacker position. And so I, I think that highly of him. And so I think that, you know, just give me that, those three guys. And then obviously you have guys like Davian Story and even younger guys like a C.J. Allen, like a Raylan Wilson. I, I Offensive line is the second answer. And if Munden is not fully able to go this season and be the player we saw at the end of last year, I would pick the offensive line. But right now, I'm still taking the inside linebacker room. Had a feeling you might say that, and it's certainly a provocative uh, argument and a, a really good answer. Connor, we appreciate you stepping in here on short notice in our program here today. We wish you well as you enjoyed some much-deserved vacation time. And obviously, when you get back into town and uh, you know, a few days from now, we'll look forward to reading everything you have for coming at dognation.com there as well. Enjoy the vacation, and we'll look forward to talking to you soon. Yep, hope I got on base, BA. You definitely did, Connor. Appreciate it. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So let me give you a quick follow-up to what uh, Connor talks about right there, which is his belief that the inside linebacker position might be better than the offensive line. As I told you before, I think there are reasonable answers other than offensive line as Georgia's best overall position group. I just made my case for being the offensive line there a moment ago. But the one thing most of us would probably agree with in most cases generic football team let's don't say georgia bulldogs for a moment let's say generic football team what most of us would probably agree is well typically speaking an offensive line is probably more important than an inside linebacker room and i think that's probably i think that's probably generally speaking probably true hey you'd rather have if you had your choice of i have the best inside linebackers or i can have the best offensive line most of us would say it's probably generally better to have the better offensive line if you could have a dominant strength at one spot, you'd probably pick offensive line. But at Georgia, it does seem like, and I'm not an X's and O's expert, don't really pretend to be, never really had to be, um, it does seem like the inside linebacker position at Georgia has had kind of an outsized value to this program in comparison to other programs. Where you don't often see like the inside linebackers just like coveted guys in the first round of drafts and things like that, NFL drafts and things like that. But at Georgia, 
dominant inside linebacker play has really proven to be a valuable part of uh, the formula for successful teams go back to kirby smart's first really successful team in 2017 what'd you have you had a roquan smith winning the buckus award well in 2021 when georgia won its first national championship once again you had you know a guy like nicobe dean winning the buckus award that interior linebacker play for georgia i believe has been really important now listen college ball is one of those things where you want to be good at every position because every position matters but at georgia it does seem like the inside linebacker position for whatever reason has had a bigger role in the overall success piece than maybe it has for other teams where you talk more about edge rusher you talk more about lockdown cornerback you talk more about whatever else at georgia that inside linebacker position has really mattered and a guy like jamon dumas johnson was an example of that last year i think smile mondon probably played at a level a year ago that was far better than the attention that he probably got and as connor kind of points out correctly here you know some questions about when exactly smile returns to full health you know for georgia here this year eventually that'll be the case maybe not quite maybe at the very beginning of the season or at least led to believe as a possibility but when you think about well inside linebacker might be as good as offensive line connor says it's better some of you might agree at a place like georgia that's also really mattered and been very important the overall success piece there as well just sort of something to keep in mind with that said we'll go cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean something i love doing here always have fun with all of that and just got back off uh, of a royal caribbean cruise ship myself we were on board independence of the seas and it was one of those things where we wanted that sort of short give you know get away for me it's kind of like my last summer hurrah you know one of those things where hey we want to get you know, my brother and his family my mom my wife and uh our kids and we want to just we want to get on board we all have fun together and y'all it worked out exactly as i hoped that it would everybody loved perfect day coke okay and i told you before when i am searching for a royal caribbean cruise vacation that's the thing that i'm starting with and it's right frankly the reason why when i think cruise vacation i only think royal caribbean because they they're the only ones who have perfect day coke okay they're the only ones who have that private island oasis right there in the bahamas and so when it was time to sort of talk about our dog nation cruise for 2024 a lot of folks had a lot of different ideas but i'm standing up saying we got to go back to perfect day coke okay i just love it i love everything about it i love the thrill side i love the chill side i probably especially love the chill side because when i'm on vacation i kind of like to be a little bit of a chill guy a little bit sit in the uh in the beach chair go hang out by the pool the oasis lagoon um, enjoy the great uh buffet style uh you know cookout style lunch I just love all of that and you don't get any more perfect than right there in the middle of the bahamas this perfect private island that only folks on board a royal caribbean cruise vacation get a chance to enjoy so when we take our dog nation cruise in 2024 we're going back to perfect day coco Cay. when you take your own royal caribbean cruise vacation i think you ought to go to perfect day coco 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 Cay there as well so jessica slater's a travel agent she can help you with it give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 make sure you check her out you can also go to her website royaldogs.com that is royaldogs.com. Jessica has done such a great job of putting together a, a, a great uh, website to educate you and all the fun stuff happening April of 2024 when the Dog Nation Cruise returns. So make sure you uh, check all of that out with her. That's going to be a great, great time. All right, let's go cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. I told you a moment ago, um, it was interesting to see Jaden Daniels, LSU quarterback, has said something kind of provocative. It's kind of an interesting boast, one of those sort of hot takes we sort of have fun with on a show like this. He says that he believes that his quarterback room, not he himself, he didn't say, I'm the best quarterback in the SEC. What he said was is he thought that his quarterback room was the best in the SEC. And 
obviously on the one hand we can kind of compare that to what uh georgia has because you know you're primarily looking at daniels the effective starter when healthy garrett nussmeyer a guy that we saw come in the second half of the sec championship a year ago you compare that to what georgia has with carson beck the presumed starter talented touted backups like brock vandergriff and gunner stockton a lot of georgia fans might say uh, lsu i'm not quite so sure you guys really are the most talented quarterback room in the sec as Jaden daniels recently said that it was i think that georgia might have a strong case for that a lot of georgia fans would agree but ultimately, this for me isn't so much a statement about Georgia as it is a statement about another team in the SEC, and that is Alabama. Because I think Daniels, without meaning to, he's just a player. He's just sort of speaking off the cuff, sort of speaking his mind here on all that. But Daniels, without meaning to, has sort of furthered what I believe is a pretty important narrative that has been in place for most of this offseason. Like, why is it that at one point in time, January, February, it seems like a lot of folks were kind of you know, really locked in on Alabama as a playoff team, an SEC West winner, maybe even a, a, a true competitor to Georgia. And over the course of the last couple of months, it seems like some of that has sort of moved in the direction of LSU. It's almost like you're in kind of like political primary season and people have sort of left one candidate and gone to the other. It seems like a lot of folks have kind of left the Alabama candidacy and sort of flocked towards the LSU candidacy here. Why is that? I think it's for the reason that, uh, that Daniel sort of mentions here. As I've said to you many times, I believe that LSU has two quarterbacks better than anything that Alabama has on its roster. And, you know, a lot of the stuff about choosing a quarterback, some of this is just about a numbers game. It's about putting together a competition that involves enough talented players that you hope somebody emerges. You may not care who that somebody is. You just want it to be somebody. But in the case of Alabama, where you bring in Tyler Buckner from, uh, uh, you know, Notre Dame, who may have been third string quarterback if he stayed there Jalen Milrow who we did see for Alabama a year ago he was unspectacular when he did play Ty Simpson was supposed to be the next big thing the the, the former elite recruit and oftentimes you know it, it's the the absence of evidence that makes a, a prospect seem more intriguing because you can kind of fill in the gaps in your imagination with how good that he might be well a lot of folks saw Ty Simpson during the spring and they were unimpressed and so you've got Milrow, Simpson, and now going to be soon Buckner. And the thought is, well, Alabama may be sort of scuffling its way through a preseason practice period trying to find who its starting quarterback is going to be. If Garrett Nussmeyer, the LSU backup, was on the Alabama roster, he'd be the clear, unquestioned starter, I believe. If Jaden Daniels was on the Alabama roster right now, he'd be the clear, unquestioned starter, and LSU would still have more than a capable performer in its own right with Nussmeyer as its own starter that right now LSU just has a deeper quarterback situation than Alabama, and that's why everybody seemingly other than uh, Kirk Herbstreit, who's just uh, obsessed with the past, uh, that is seemingly why there has been a little bit of migration lately towards LSU is not just a team that could win the SEC West, but as I told you last week, a team that could join Georgia as one of two SEC teams in this year's college football playoff. I think that Jaden Daniels sort of says that the right way. Pretty interesting quote from him. A uh, quick recruiting update, a guy we've talked about before, Carter Nelson from the state of Nebraska. Plays sort of a weird version of, I guess, eight-man football out there. Kind of a sort of do-everything type guy out there. Well, Nelson decided to stay in his home state. Nelson did commit to Nebraska so want to maybe give you that update Jeff Sintel talked glowingly of Nelson about you know, the kind of playmaker he thought he could be there's a little bit of an interesting translation there uh, as you're going to move from a very very low level of high school football to a much higher level of college football uh, but Jeff was of the belief that Nelson was a big-time athlete and a guy who had a chance to do some pretty special things at Georgia but instead he is going to be a part of Matt Rule's 
uh, team there at Nebraska. Now, I'll just say this real quick. We don't talk Nebraska football here very much, but I do think Rule's presence here is kind of interesting. I mean, I think the one thing that kind of drove Rule to the NFL from Baylor was I don't think that Matt Rule is like all that into the whole recruiting part and the kind of tough grind that that is required to be a college football coach, the sort of 12-month grind of all of that. As of now, Rule's not welcome in the NFL. He got fired as the Carolina Panthers coach, so he had to have a job, so he goes back to Nebraska. But I do think that Rule could be coming back to college at a pretty interesting time. And we talked, uh, you know, uh, we have talked before about these sort of big fan bases and how, you know, sometimes big fan bases can kind of propel your NIL situation. You know, I'm led to believe that Nebraska probably is a little bit of an underrated player in the NIL situation. I have no idea how much Carter Nelson might have gotten for, for going to Nebraska. I, I won't even pretend to know that. I'm not saying this was an NIL thing, but when you see Nebraska win a recruiting battle here i think it could be a little bit of a reminder that with rule in place with the nil stuff potentially aiding his recruiting efforts something he don't i don't think he very much enjoyed doing there at baylor we could see nebraska be a little bit more of a factor in some recruiting battles moving forward they won't often be in-state type battles um there's just not a lot of good high school football being played in nebraska but you know you know, go back to the 90s nebraska was one of the powers maybe for a while they were the power in all of college football and this has had this has been a heritage program uh for many many decades hard to remember that because they've been you know sort of mediocre or less the last few years but but you know rules gonna have a chance to change some of that a, a bit in an expanded big 10 where everybody's sort of fighting for their seat at the table i think nebraska could do some more fighting in that regard in, in the future so keep that in mind on, on you know the uh, heels of winning the battle for connor nelson right there uh and then i'll also mention this we uh nice to see record viewership for the college world series finale between uh lsu and uh florida you know there had been some chatter about oh what if there's two sec teams or whatever else uh but in this particular case uh the college world series overall you know pretty big time viewership here on the heels of a softball situation where you had big time viewership for that record viewership for the women's uh final four there as well you know I think a lot of folks kind of finding out something that a lot of us have known for a long time, that college athletics is just really, really fun. And most of these, uh, you know, college World Series, you know, final games involving LSU and uh, and Florida, these are drawing higher ratings than any regular season Major League Baseball game here this year on the national uh, network there, ESPN. Uh, it just sort of goes to show you that for all that people want to – I don't know. There's a lot of concerns about the future of college athletics. I certainly get that. We've probably expressed some of our own concerns there as well. But in terms of the way in which fans and viewers are responding to this product, not just football, but across all sports, it seems like college athletics are in a pretty good spot here right now. So good to see a sport that I love, college baseball, getting some much-deserved attention and big-time eyeballs ratings-wise on ESPN there. So that's worth uh, touting there a little bit too. And we will make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And for our golden shoe today, we'll keep the uh, cruise theme going here. One of our great commenters, you see him on our YouTube side, and he's obviously always active on Twitter, stirring things up. It's our buddy Frankie Fibonacci, and he spoke my own language here with a message that he sent to me. Uh, we talk a lot about you know the next sort of wave of, no pun intended, of Royal Caribbean cruising, the debut of Icon of the Seas coming up. Frankie shared with me that Icon of the Seas, the uh, biggest cruise ship ever, 
uh, has completed uh, its construction. So Icon of the Sea set to sail next year. Frankie sharing that with me. You love to see that. And how good does that look there? The uh, rendering of uh, Icon of the Sea. That's going to be an amazing experience, unlike anything that's ever really happened before. Uh, what a fun thing that's going to be. And I appreciate Frankie sharing that. Golden Shoe coming his way uh, for letting us know about all of that. How about our Gator Hater Countdown? Dogs in Jacksonville, 121 days from now beating Florida again. That's a fun thought to consider. And we'll talk to you tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp.